just so many times. I look at my own life, God, and I just, I look at what you have done for me and I think, I just don't deserve this. Father, thank you. Can you just say thank you for a moment? When I'm honest with myself, I don't deserve his presence. I don't deserve eternity with him, worshiping and glorifying him. I don't deserve his Holy Spirit. But in his goodness, in his grace, and in his mercy, he lavished it upon us. And he made us righteous through his son. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Because I know I know I am the least deserving of your grace and of your mercy. I know, God, that if I put my deeds on the wall, good and bad, it would be shocking for me to be preaching your word today. But you have declared me righteous through your son, and I worship you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Why don't you give him praise? It's so good to see everybody. Welcome again to Zion. I uh, just love coming together with all you on Sunday mornings. Uh, we are in our series in Deuteronomy, uh, and we are learning the character of God. And we're going to read from Deuteronomy, the end of Deuteronomy 12, and we're going to be preaching from Deuteronomy 12, uh, verse 29 through chapter 13. I'm not going to be reading chapter 13. It's long, but I will explain it. Uh, so, but before we do that, I want to remind us about Deuteronomy and what we're learning. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, people make this same mistake all the time. They say God is a lot different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. And there can be nothing farther from the truth. In fact, the more you study the Old Testament, the more it helps you appreciate the New Testament because of how much God has stayed the same. But something did change, and it was his covenant with us uh, and the relationship that he has with us. And so we praise God that as we read Deuteronomy, we can learn about who he is and the life that he has called us to live. And so we're going to read in Deuteronomy 12, and we're going to be talking about temptations to idolatry today, temptations to idolatry. And so let's jump in verse 29. You can read from the screen. Moses is preaching to the people of Israel before they enter the promised land. And he says this, When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them. After they have been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? That I also may do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take away. So I'm going to give you some history here on what is happening. Uh, Israel is about to go in and conquer the lands of uh, Canaan, today it is uh, present-day Israel and Palestine. Uh, this is the promised land from God, 
And if you read Joshua, you read the entire story of how this happens and what happens, that they do go in and they conquer the cities and they conquer the land. Uh, so these people, they mostly, they get wiped out uh, by Israel, and God is using Israel partly in what he's doing is he's using Israel as a tool for his justice. And the reason is, is because these religions, they were serving mainly in Canaan, a god called Baal. Uh, and in serving this god, what they would do is, some of the practices that they would do is they would sacrifice their kids. They would literally burn their children alive and sacrifice to these gods. Uh, and so also, Baal, if you learn about him, he had a mother named Asherah, and uh, his mother was his mistress. And... In worshiping Asherah, what would happen was there was deeply sexual, immoral things that would happen, including prostitution and other things. And, and following, right, we always talk in Christianity, we follow the example of our God. We follow his example. And following the example of Baal was taking your mom as your mistress. So uh, our God hates these things. He hates what is happening. And so he uses Israel as a tool of justice in bringing justice to the land of Canaan as they possess it. Uh, but in this conquering, God gives Israel a warning. He says, you are going to learn about the ways that they serve their gods. Now, when you learn about these ways, do not fall into the trap of serving them the way that these people do, because worshiping them will utterly cause you to walk away from the character of God utterly cause you to walk away from who he wants them to be and who he has called them to be. And so after Moses gives them this warning, he then in chapter 13 continues to preach and he says three ways. He says these three ways are three ways that will possibly tempt you to lead this idolatrous life, will possibly tempt you to begin to serve these other gods. And the first warning he says... He says, there are going to be false prophets and dreamers that arise. They are described in, in chapter 13 as prophets, dreamers of dreams, and doers of wonders. He said, these people are going to come into the land, into your midst. He says, do not, and what they do is they're going to be pointing you towards another God. He says, not only do not listen to them, but when they come and you find that they are telling you to do other things than I have commanded you to do, you shall kill them. Second warning, he says, there are going to be family and friends that begin to worship the other gods. And not just any friends, these are going to be friends that are many times closer than your brother that are going to do these things. He describes these people as your brother, your son, your daughter, your wife, your best friend. The closest people to you may stray. They may begin to follow these other gods. And in their stray, in worshiping Baal and Asherah and the gods of Canaan, they're going to try to entice you to worship with you. And if that happens, don't pity them, don't embrace them, Moses says. He says, uncover them and let them face the penalty, which is death. The third warning, he says, is cities. He describes these things as in cities inhabitants and fellows or large groups of people. He said, you're going to hear that other 
groups of people that they started serving another God and they started doing these sacrifices and following Baal. And when that happens, don't do it. Don't go in line with these other groups, with these other cities, with these other people. But in fact, go and bring justice and let them be brought the penalty of death. But also everything that is associated with them, you shall not take their wealth, you shall not take their possessions, all of it shall be burned and destroyed. Now, if you're saying, well, Justin, this is, this is a lot of death going on, you're right. It is. Uh, and th- there's a couple of things we need to understand, but I'm, I'm not going to dive into. Because if you want to understand the difference of the covenant and what that means for judgment, we covered that last week when we talked uh, in uh, Deuteronomy 11. And we talked about the difference of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So if you are really interested in that, you can listen to Shameless Plug, last week's sermon and podcast. Um, but the, the point is here that um, God is very serious. He is very serious about idolatry. He is very serious about the serving of other gods. And... Uh, Uh, We have already talked a lot of times about idolatry and the product of idolatry and how it always leads to destruction, how it always leads us to a life of want, a life life of dissatisfaction, and a life of uh, not being satisfied. Uh, But today, uh, so we're not going to talk about that. What we're going to talk about is these warnings that Moses gives and how that applies to us today, all three of these Warnings, uh, because idolatry is serious and it's something that we deal with today. Uh, and so we're going to read a quote from Martin Luther, uh, because it's it's very easy to say, well, we don't serve those idols, we don't have, we don't worship the sun, we don't worship Baal, we don't worship Asherah. But Martin Luther, in his uh, quest to help us understand the Bible, he was. Uh, One of the great things that he did as a German is he translated the Bible into the German common language, and then he made a catechism, which is a question, a call and response, question and answer for people to help them understand basic doctrine of the Bible. And so one of the things in his catechism uh, talks about idolatry, and he says this, and I'll have the quote on the screen for you uh, so that you can read along. And it starts off with these two questions. What is it to have a God? What is God? Uh, Answer, if it's not on the screen, don't worry. They can just, they can listen to me from this point on. Answer, a God is that to which we look for all good and in which we find refuge in every time of need. To have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe in him with our whole heart. As I have often said, the trust and faith of the heart alone make both God and an idol. So an idol and God are when we put trust and faith in something alone. If your faith and trust are right, then your God is the true God. On the other hand, if your trust is false and wrong, then you have not the true God. For these two belong together, faith and God. That to which your heart clings and entrusts itself is really your God. So idolatry is not just this understanding of of serving, say, Zeus 
or Athena or Baal or Asherah. Idolatry is what we give our heart over to. What do we find our trust and our faith in? What do we find the things that we look to for our security, our satisfaction? Uh, Today, mainly we find these things in money, sex, power, and entertainment. These are where many people in Western culture find their idolatry. This is where their heart lies, their trust. Uh, when you go home and you think, man, I, what do I want to be? What do I want to do? What will make me happy? What will make me joyful? What will fix my family problems? What will fix my life? What will get me in shape? And you, we think of money. We think of power or promotion. We, we think of entertainment. Uh, how do we escape from the world that we're in and live in another world? And, and we think of sex in all its different various forms. Uh, and so in these warnings to the Israelites, I find warnings for us today. And the first warning that Moses gives that we're going to talk about is the false prophet and false dreamer. So we are tempted to look at different things in our life and put our faith, put our trust, put our hope in these things. And if we look all around us, we will see people doing these things. And so how, how can we say, all right, these are warning signs that we need to stay away from these specific things that are happening. First, Moses says, when the false prophet or the false dreamer comes in your midst. Now, I grew up charismatic. I am charismatic. So I could talk about this for days. We could do a 30-week sermon series on the excess of charismania, as I like to call it. See, people today, they will come into the church and they will say, I am a prophet, I have visions, I have dreams, and God is speaking to me and he's saying, thus saith the Lord over your life, blah, 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 blah. And really what they are is they are a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, something that we need to understand is this. Just because somebody says that they hear from God does not mean that they hear from God. It's like you cannot believe everything you read on the internet. You cannot believe everything that comes out of a prophet's mouth or a prophetess. That's my favorite title of them all. When someone puts the extra oomph at the end of that. Man, I'm telling you, if, if, if every prophetess that walked through uh, and declared who was going to get married over my lifetime, uh, there would be people in seven different godly marriages at this point in their life, uh, obviously very ungodly and ridiculous. I remember one time uh, when I was in Ohio, I was with my uncle who is as charismatic as they come, uh, and... Uh, the, the one, I was in Bible school at the time, so one of the guys that was coming through to the Bible school, uh, he, he just newly got saved, and all of a sudden, he starts having these visions, and he starts having these dreams, uh, and he starts writing down all these prophetic words that he's getting from God. Uh, and at first, you're like, oh, you know, cool. He wrote a page, you know, then he wrote two pages, then he wrote 15 pages. This dude literally had like 60 pages after about a month of all of what God was writing to him. And he kept bringing it to my uncle, and I was so happy I was privy to this conversation. In membership class this morning, we were talking about how discipleship a lot of times happens in random conversations. This was discipleship happening for me in a random conversation. He came with his next booklet for my uncle to read what the word of the Lord was saying to the church. 
Um, and my uncle said, my God, do you know that he speaks to you more than he speaks to Moses? I was dying. I was like, yo, this guy just got flamed hardcore and doesn't even know it. And that was a moment for me because I realized there is, I believe in the prophetic. I believe God speaks today. God speaks to me and he should be speaking to us. It says in scripture in John 10 that the sheep should know the voice of the shepherd and be able to distinguish from all the other voices. I believe God speaks, but there is excess that people will come and that they will begin to have these things in their imaginations. Who knows what is speaking to them? And it needs to be corrected. And if it's corrected and not changed, then it needs to be pushed out. See, that's something I will never stand for in my church. Whatever, wherever I am leading, I will not stand for that. I didn't stand for it when I was leading in college ministry. I didn't stand for it when I was leading in youth ministry. I didn't stand for it when I was leading at my pop's church. Won't stand for it leading at Zion. It's not going to happen. Because Galatians 1.8, Paul says this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. See, there is only one gospel. There is only one message. And so many times when we visit the excess of charismatic nature... What happens is we start focusing on the other thing and we take away the focus from Jesus. And when there begins to begin good news that doesn't have it wrapped and centered around Jesus, then it is no longer good news and I say it should be accursed. In Colossians 2.18, Paul says this, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going into detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. See, this is a thing that the church has struggled with and will struggle with. I, I heard a, a saying once, uh, uh, people say, man, when you go to church, you become crazy. And it's like, no, you already had crazy in you. It just found a home in church a lot of times. People come constantly. I have visions. I have this. And what happens is it takes our focus off of Jesus. I remember I was at a conference one time, not far away from here, uh, maybe eight years ago. Uh, and this, this guy came along that uh, supposedly had, you know, an incredible ministry, and I was following it along, and I couldn't wait to go to this conference. And so I, I went to the conference um, and worship was over, and I was like, all right, finally, I've been waiting for this dude to preach. He gets up and preaches. He speaks for two hours, two hours, two hours, and does not mention one scripture in the two hours that he's preaching. All he talks about is his visions from God, and I'll give you one vision that he, he shared with us. I was very happy to receive this nugget from him because uh, it's a story I've used for the rest of my life. Uh, he says one time he was taken up into heaven and he met Paul in heaven. And Paul was living in a shack in heaven. And the reason why we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, is because Paul co-wrote it with Moses. And so no one person could take credit for it. And I'm sitting there thinking like, what in the world is going on right now? 
And so then after, you know, the two hours uh, of preaching, of course, he did a 45-minute sow your seed offering after that uh, for his ministry. And then after that, he was going to lay hands on everybody that was there. And I was like, all right, I'm going to give this one last try. So uh, he's going through uh, everybody, praying for everybody. Um, And then all of a sudden, uh, it just got, got, it got weird. Weirder. Weirder. Uh, And and the reason why it got weirder is because, again, no scripture, no gospel, but there were a lot of angels. There was a lot of talk of gold dust. There was a lot of talk of all these other things about asceticism, about worship of these things, about all this other stuff was going on, but there was and, and in that room at that time, that was the good news. The good news was receiving gold dust in your hair. The good news was receiving the glory cloud. The good news was being visited by an angel. The good news, let me tell you, was not that you are a sinner in need of grace and God gave you his righteousness so that you can stand in the Holy of Holies. That was not the good news. And so we have to be careful That, yes, we believe in the miraculous, we believe in the gifts, we believe in what God can do because he is powerful. But if it is not pointing people to the good news, let me tell you, it is the wrong news. And there will be a lot of times when there will be preachers on the internet, there will be people that come through in your life. It may not be at a conference. It may be somebody at your job, a friend that gives you um, a word. And I've seen people just take words and run with it and ruin their life because they did not test it against Scripture. They did not see if it lines up what God is doing. And what happens, it has caused, I've, I've seen people fall into idolatry from the dreamers, from the visionaries, from the prophets, because they begin to seek the wealth. They begin to seek the nice car. They begin to seek the gold dust. They begin to seek all these magical things that can happen in their life. And what happens is you begin to seek the other and not seek him. And so we got to watch out what we put in our heart, what we allow to speak into us, what, what visions we allow and you know what? One test that I always give is, is there excess in it? Is there a vision and a dream every day? Because if that is your focus, then looking at scripture, that's the wrong focus. And so there needs to be realignment in that. The second thing that Moses says is the poisonous relationship. The truth is, is that sometimes people you love will fight with you about the relationship with your God. It's just the truth. You know, I, uh, I had a friend growing up um, who came to Christ uh, in one of our youth meetings, and he was maybe 10, 11 years old, uh, my, my age, a little different in age, uh, and I just, I always felt for the dude because his mother was a different religion uh, and his father was an atheist. And since that moment, his parents, every single day, would question, talk negatively about his faith, just 
any new article, any new fact that they found, they would attack him during dinner, during breakfast. And I, I, he would come and he would tell me and share some of these stories with me. And I just, I felt for the dude. And I, I can't imagine growing up in that way and as a 12-year-old having to defend your faith from your parents. But I, I, I praise God that he helped my friend get through it, that he is a believer today. But that is just to show you that you're going to have an experience with Jesus and the people closest to you may not like that experience. And they're going to start talking negatively about it. They're going to start saying, man, you really shouldn't be doing this. This is not good for you. This is not healthy for you. This, you know, this Christianity is dumb. This is old school. There's a lot of things that can happen that can be said. But what Moses is saying here is we cannot allow our faith to be constructed around the relationship and the words of others, even people that are the closest to us. We have to be able to distinguish, man, is this advice that is bringing me closer to Christ? Is this advice that, again, is wrapped up in the good news of Jesus? Is it bringing me more in line with him? Is it bringing me to full submission of him? Or is this just advice like anybody else would give? I would say the number one relationship that I see trip people up when they are either newly saved or walking with God for a while is single people getting that boo-boo. <laughs> number one thing that trips people up. Because let me tell you something, God is really good until that fine piece walks by and you start thinking, mm, which is better? <laughs> Do I want cuddles at night? Do I want that warm feeling? Do I want that ring? Do I want this person next to me? Do I want that text in the morning? Or do I want God? See, these things will entice us. Single people, be warned. That it will lead you into the idolatry of sex and comfort outside of God. See, in my marriage, I know that there are great things in marriage, sex and comfort as one of them or two of them. But my satisfaction is not found in her, in those things. The good news is not the cuddling at night. The good news is Jesus, even in my marriage. And so what happens is a lot of times in our relationships, we think, oh, we've been together for a while. It's okay. We, 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 you know, we're probably going to get married anyway, so we can sleep together. We can live together. It's okay. And what we're doing is we're establishing from the get-go that God is not important in my relationship, that his word takes a backseat to my desires and my feelings. And that starts your relationship, even if you get married, on a place of idolatry rather than being centered around Christ. And so Moses warns there will be people in your life that will be close to you, that you will feel that are good things, 
Your brothers, your sisters, your wife, and they will entice you. If you look at the life of Job, everything was stripped away in his family except for his wife because his life was telling him to curse God. We have to learn to separate that and say, man, you know what? My faith is the most important. Because my faith will always leave me satisfied. My faith brings me to eternity of worship and glory with the Father. And every time I have found in my life that I have chased towards something that seemed good, little g, I found that it did not bring me to the place that the big G, good, brought me to. I have been disappointed, I have been broken, I have been dissatisfied, I have been sad, I have been destroyed, I have been in worse places, more distraught, destroyed, and sad than before. And that's always where idolatry will lead you. But it's a temptation, it looks good, it feels good, it speaks goodness in your ear. It says this will be nice for you for a change. Do you. Do you. Take care of yourself for once. Look out for only you. But what will happen is in the end, we will always be left wanting more. Because nothing can satisfy like our God. The third thing that Moses talks about is culture. We ask ourselves today, where are the crowds going? What does media tell you to think? What does your a party affiliation tell you to stand on this issue? See, in our polarizing culture today, I cannot think of a topic more relevant. Moses says the cities are going to run this way. The crowds are going to go this way. Don't follow them. Their path is leading to destruction. Today, the same thing will happen. We will see groups of people. We will see parties going towards one way. We will see entire states going another way. Group cities going this way. And common mind think will say, well, if these millions of people or these thousands of people are saying this one thing, maybe I should say it too. Maybe I should think this way too because I will be the odd person out if I don't think like them, talk like them, act like them. If I don't start thinking about these ways, about these things, I don't know. And so instead of asking ourselves, man, what does is, what is God command about these things? What does the Bible say about these issues and these topics? We ask ourselves, what is culture saying? What is my favorite news source saying? What is my favorite pundit saying? What is my favorite YouTuber saying? What are they saying about these things? Because those are the issues that I'm going to start to believe. When we talk about so many different things where culture says this, and it's, it's when we talk about abortion, when we talk about immigration, when we talk about sexual identity, when we talk about these topics, culture has very strong opinions on these topics. But 
Do we just take what culture says and say, well, that's what I think? Or do we look at the biblical lens and think, how does the good news inform my understanding of what this says? This past week, we've been talking about gun control. I say we as in like anybody that has turned on TV or has a social media account, any social media account. Because of the horrific shooting that happened in Florida. So this gun control debate is going on, and I see both sides every day. This is how you should think. This is how you should think. This is, this is the arguments for. This is the arguments against. This is, this is what we should say about this. And both sides, different, different Christians that I know. And we have like this endless stream coming at us. But I'm, I'm going I'm to clue everybody into something really, really quick. I hope it, it helps us a little bit. It's this. The Bible does not have this verse. Gun control should be mandated or not mandated in 2018 in America. You will not find that verse in the Bible. You won't find it. You will find things in the Constitution that are not the Bible. But, so then, Justin, how do we approach this in a biblical lens? Okay, what is the gun control debate about? If we took it at its meta, if we, if we looked at the highest point that we can get and say, okay, can we agree on this point? It is this point. What is the value of human life? And both sides of the people of the debate can say we value human life. There's no side saying those kids should have died. Neither side. And anybody that is saying that, we are realizing that they are deranged. They're crazy. And so if we look at this value and say the Bible talks about the value of human life and people, okay, we can have a conversation about that. What is human life? How do we protect human life? Some people say we need more guns to protect human life because if that person walked in, there was somebody there to take them out, it would have been gone. Some people say we need less guns to protect human life. Guess what? Where culture is saying is that you can't have a conversation about this without hating each other at the end if you disagree. Culture is saying you are either Republican and conservative on this issue or you are Democrat and you are liberal on this issue. And even if you are both Christian, it doesn't matter what you think that you both value human life. You cannot have a conversation about this topic without hating each other when you're done. Culture is saying I will make fun of you over and over and over again because of your views to prove that you are wrong. Culture is saying, I am right and you are wrong, and so if you stand on the wrong side, you are stand on the unfriended side. You are now the unfollow side. You are the I'm not going to talk to you side. You are the at Thanksgiving, I'm not even going to say hi to you anymore because you have a different view than me. Culture is saying we are divided and we cannot have conversations where we both may at the end still disagree with one another, but maybe appreciate each other's views a little bit more. See, culture worships the ideologue. 
Culture worships the person that says, unless you think like me, you can't be friends with me. But what does the gospel say? Love your enemies. Treat others how you want to be treated. You want other people to understand your arguments, even if they disagree? How about you take a step back and begin to understand their arguments before you disagree? We have fallen into the trap so much of elevating culture above Christ. Now we get so dug into our political views that they get elevated above our biblical views. My culture says that I'm going to treat you differently now because you have a different belief than me. Where the Bible says, even if you're my enemy, I will love you. And you know what love is described as? Not getting your own way. You know what love is described as? Patience. You know what love is described as? Self-control. When you want to write that four-paragraph thing with expletives and you're an idiot on Facebook, just take a step back and say, is this self-control right now? Is it? Is this kind? Is this defined goodness? No. So there's an alternate way. There are many things that will fight for your heart at every corner. You will have your closest relationships. You will have false prophets, dreamers, visionaries, speaking the word of the Lord. You will have culture. All of these things will be tempting you to serve other gods, tempting you to find your faith and your trust, as Martin Luther put it, in something else other than God. And when your faith and your trust is in something other than God, it then becomes an idol, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And so the command that Moses has to Israel that we can learn from today is to be able to spot temptation to idolatry and not allow it to grow in our hearts and in our lives. Pray this prayer with me. Holy Spirit, we ask you to convict us of the ways we have not made worshiping you our priority. Holy Spirit, we ask that you lead us to repentance today of any places that we have allowed temptation to settle into our heart, to become sin, to worship and to serve idols above you. Father, I pray that you would help us navigate the waters of our friendships and our cultures. Lord, that constantly are speaking into our minds, into our ears and trying to get our attention and trying to lead us to elevate those things above you. And Lord, I pray that you would protect us and that you would lead us. And if there is any way that we have fallen into the trap, that today as we worship, that you would lead us to repentance, that you would be the Lord and the King of our heart, that nothing else but you would sit on the throne room in the temple of our body. This is my reward, and 
So oh. 